Welcome to Bridging the Gap. I'm your host, Marianne Rose. You are about to embark on a relevant and timely journey of thought with registered psychologist, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. Thank you for tuning in and expect to be enlightened right now. Hey, Marianne. Good to see you today. Oh, it's good to see you too. Awesome. So today is our 80th Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe it. That's yeah. crazy. This is two years. Wow. Two years. Wow. Two years, hey? That's phenomenal. That is. Yeah. I'm so happy for us. I mm-hmm. think this is so much fun. And I'm grateful mm-hmm. that we've been able to have these conversations, life-changing. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could be its own school. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Because I know people talk about what they wish was in curriculum for schools, mm. that there would be more focus on empathy training and mental health and skills for communication and understanding mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. yeah bridging the gap yes is yes part of that. relationships are neglected you're know, just expected to pick that up and it's not fair i mm-hmm. think it'd be good for people to have more of this yes i know so many people who've never even picked up a self-help book oh and yeah i know mm-hmm. for my generation from the 70s early 70s i've read so many Mm. that was a thing you always had somebody Mm. tell you about even my uncles and aunts with norman vincent peel and his book how to win friends and influence Mm. people yep yeah that drive to improve yourself would be so important and it can change your life it really can yes and now it's through podcasts. Mm-hmm. What we're doing here is world famous for how people are getting their information. Yes. And a lot of it is mm-hmm. psychological health, mm-hmm. mental health, health. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep going with that. Mm-hmm. Our second show in the new year. Here we are, 2023. Yes. Somebody will listen to this in 20 years from now. <laughs> what? It's so relevant. <laughs> Timeless. We'll be timeless. Yeah. Mental health is timeless and the things to understand. Words change. Mm -hmm. What we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Words change. We have a topic called factitious disorder. Disorder. Yes. Used to be called Munchausen syndrome. Yeah. It's a disorder where people will purposely, knowingly lie about their health Mm -hmm. and they will fake illnesses to medical professionals, mental health professionals, and there's no obvious gain. There's no particular reason that's clear to people around them. So, for example, sometimes people will fake uh, illness or fake mental health illnesses in order to get something. You know, some of the most common things would be maybe in court in order to gain understanding in sentencing or maybe in insurance claims or things like this. If there's a car accident and somebody can't return to work because of trauma, sometimes they'll fake traumatic symptoms in order to not have to return back to work and continue to get a salary from the insurance company. But this isn't like that. There's no obvious gain from these instances where people are faking their illnesses. So then there becomes theories about why people are going to the trouble of taking pills that aren't necessary, getting all these treatments that can be harmful or dangerous, you know, even surgeries that they know they don't need. Wow. Yeah, that's something. So it's not that popular. Mm. It's 
something that it's not the most common, right? It's yeah. not super mm -hmm. common. There's not a lot of talk about this. But I believe it's important to have the conversation to understand it because there are roots mm. of that behavior mm -hmm. that are also in regular social society. That's yep. the way some people are behaving in more subtle ways. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the kind of ideas behind it spread into other disorders as well. For example, sometimes people will steal or lie with no apparent reason. I've had clients who will go and shoplift and, you know, they don't need the things that they're shoplifting. They're not planning on, you know, making a lot of money from these things that they're shoplifting. They just need to. And other people will lie. Sometimes children will lie with no reason. There's nothing that they're particularly wanting or gaining from the lie. And yet they still feel this compulsion to lie repeatedly. And these things could be very damaging, as you could imagine, leading to kinds of criminal charges or destruction in relationships, loss of trust. Same thing with factitious disorder. Yeah, that's so interesting because lying without it being of benefit. Mm. You know, when I think of lying, it's to benefit the person, mm -hmm. or so they think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It usually doesn't end up that way. Yeah, yeah. Because as soon as exposed, yeah. they're in pain. Yes, <laughs> yes. The exposure. It yeah. did them damage because mm -hmm. the lie was to protect the damage. Yes. And they're going to get the damage yep. anyhow because lies get exposed. Mm -hmm. And that's life. And mm -hmm. a lot of people continue lying anyway. Mm, yep. <laughs> yes. Politicians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is so much lying. But you're right. Most of the time when we think about lying, there's an obvious gain. And so then there becomes a question around what would somebody gain that's not obvious there's no you know financial reward or particular social reward but they're still gaining something that's what researchers and mental health professionals begin to theorize about because it's hard to test about what people may be gaining from those kinds of interactions what does it feel like to lie and have somebody believe you mm -hmm. even if you're not getting anything from it there is a feeling that happens when you lie and somebody believes you, when you get away with it. And that is a feeling that is of interest with this disorder. Mm -hmm. I feel this connection to it from both the person who is creating the lie, mm -hmm. perhaps it's sickness, and also from the person who is feeding it, who is responding to it, enabling it, mm. could be a way, mm -hmm. and maybe even unknown, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're talking about something mm -hmm. that isn't mm -hmm. spoken. People believe them. People believe them, they yes. They believe themselves. Mm -hmm. We even talked about this mm -hmm. last week, too, a little bit. Yeah. Let's say lie detectors were accurate. They may still pass the lie detector test. They may believe their own story. Now, I mean, technically with factitious disorder, it is intentional. There are other disorders where people believe they're sick and they're not actually sick, but they can have some similar feelings around them. In particular, one of the feelings around these physical illnesses is the desire to be in a sick role. In our culture, there is a very definite characteristic of a sick role, and the sick role is different in different cultures. In our culture, you can guess maybe a little bit about what does it look like when somebody says that they're sick. Well, it's amazing what actually happens. First of all, people all of a sudden become very understanding. You are excused from most or all responsibilities, any kind of responsibilities that you had at that moment or into the future for a period of time are excused. You are allowed to be at home. You are allowed to, you know, refrain from any kind of housework, generally speaking. 
anybody who violates the sick role is seen as being very uncaring and ungenerous. So somebody who's requesting somebody in the sick role to do chores or to engage in activities can be seen as very callous. Even in the sick role, there's an expectation that you do nothing. It's not even just kind of you're allowed to do nothing. There's an expectation that you should lie on the couch and watch television or eat chicken noodle soup or, you know, like do these particular activities, big blankets and pillows. This is the sick role, and there's a defined period around it. So generally speaking, I mean, it's hard to always say, as you're listening to this, you can test your own feelings about whether somebody's sick for a day, whether somebody's sick for a week, whether somebody's sick for two weeks, whether somebody's sick for a month. And the longer the sick role, the more evidence is required in order to maintain the sick role. Somebody's in the hospital for six months, it's allowed. If somebody's just at home claiming a cold for six months, there's lots of questions that start to get asked. Yeah, that's what we're talking about is something like a cold or something that isn't autoimmune disorders where people are in pain and not well, needing to be caring for themselves physically in whatever ways. Mm -hmm. that are necessary. So we're not really talking about that. And at the same time, those types of illnesses can create more of the mindset. Mm. So it's mm -hmm. still important to understand it, whatever the situation, even when people have the need to have people respond to them. Mm. They're not well, so they need people to care for them. Mm -hmm. That sense of I'm being cared for mm -hmm. is like a bit of a reward for mm. the feelings. So maybe they'll perpetuate the feeling unnecessarily yeah. at times. Yeah. Perhaps not mm -hmm. always. Yes. And, whoa, you know, that could be controversial and mm -hmm. problematic to try discussion. Oh, there's a huge mental health role in physical illness. I mean, people, when you ask them, is there a connection between the mind and the body? And people will, you know, cheer and say, of course, and yes, that's so true. We need more of that in our society, the understanding of how our bodies are connected to our minds. But if you go to somebody who's sick and you say, I think there's a psychological component to your illness, the offense goes right through the roof. Mm -hmm. Like it's a terrible thing. Are you saying this is all in my head? Would be the typical reply with a lot of feeling. So I believe there is a strong connection between the mind and the body and our feelings and our feelings of illness. And you're right. This idea of the sick role, you know, the idea of it and the explanation of it is there to show how wonderful it is. I mean, how amazing is it to be able to lie in bed and eat chicken noodle soup and to watch television? I mean, how many children have been fascinated with the sick role and the ability to get out of school, you know, and have experimented sometimes extensively with ways of using the sick role to get out of tests or to get out of different extracurricular activities that they're afraid of. And it extends into adulthood. So when people are using like factitious disorder, they may be seeking the sick role. They may be seeking attention, care, the feeling of importance, the feeling of being worthy of people seeing them and taking care of them, which can be very validating yeah. for people. You are also describing the opposite, the person who is being needed. Mm. Everything you just said applies to that person as well. Mm. They feel special mm. because someone sick needs mm. them. Mm -hmm. The desire people have for attention. Mm. A person who knows perhaps their role mm. could be enabling someone. Mm -hmm. They would continue on that where they're not helping this person get better mm. because they are receiving care themselves. They're mm -hmm. being needed. Being needed is a wonderful feeling as well. Carl Jung had this idea. He dealt with illustrative stories or pictures, archetypes of 
different psychological dynamics, and one of them was called the monster mother. And this monster mother idea comes from this story or this picture of a mother who is eating her children. And she does this by taking care of them. So she takes care of them so the children never develop. They never become independent. It's portrayed by her as a service. She's servicing them. She's helping them. She's caring for them. She's a wonderful mother. And yet she's also this person who is keeping them young, keeping them unable, because she wants to be that in their life. She wants to continue to be a caregiver. And so there's this kind of idea in the end where she eats her children. Now, in that picture, obviously it's gruesome and over the top in some ways, is an illustration of what you're talking about here, where it's a very powerful thing to be needed. Mm -hmm. And we talk about empty nest syndrome or something like that, when people are leaving and you can no longer care for them. There's a, a huge void that can happen, which is very natural for people when they no longer have somebody to care for. And it's a feeling that can lend us value in our lives, purpose in our lives, the feeling of importance, that we matter, which is very important to our health. But these are ways that it can be so unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And you can recognize them with certain signs. Mm -hmm. Certainly when you are continuing to feel like I call it getting a hit, mm. like getting a power hit, something of an ego boost. Mm -hmm. But all the while, the person that you're helping isn't improving with your health. Mm -hmm. Again, like I have to really say, this isn't taking care of the needs of somebody with a disability, mm. where that's a really precious gift and a help in this world. It is more on the place where this person could get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it can be hard for people to identify, because when you put somebody who's really wanting care and doesn't want to become independent in a very obvious way or in a more unconscious way, and you put them alongside somebody who really wants to be needed, you have a powerful combination there. And then you could start to talk about codependency or things like that. And it can keep people in very unhealthy places when they are leaning on each other and not being able to go out and find more meaningful things to do but they're creating this reality that's not actually necessary mm -hmm. in order to make each other feel good. This obviously happens in bigger ways too. When you have an isolated experience with a person mm. that perhaps you're not actually getting a picture of health mm -hmm. for what relationships are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But when I say in a bigger way, I actually imagine communism, somebody like a mm. communist leader mm -hmm. of an entire country, they are somehow respected, or at least some of their ideals. Mm -hmm. They've perhaps lied to the people to keep them mm -hmm. feeling that mm. they're the ones providing Yes, them. that they can't do it themselves and yeah. that they're necessary in that role. And yeah, the ability to help somebody can seem very simple, but it's actually extremely difficult. And if you talk to philanthropists who are aware of these kinds of things, you know, there's whole philosophies that can go around how to actually help if you have the resources to help, how do you help in a way that doesn't destroy what it is you're trying to help? I mean, we could talk about lots of systems of help that the government, it's a very nice topic to play around with, is this idea of governments trying to help. Governments are not very nimble. So when governments try to help, they often do it in a very blunt manner, meaning they're not very refined or specific in the way that they help people. And so oftentimes when governments help, they create a culture of dependence around the help that they provide that governments can continue to provide help over extended periods of time in very consistent ways. And that can create wonderful things for many people who need that help. And it can also, alongside that, because it's such a 
broad ranging, non-specific help, it can create dependence in many others. I mean, you can look at this with just animals. If you just start feeding animals, it's very quickly that you'll create dependence. And it's the same way with people. It's very difficult to help in a way that creates strength rather than creating weakness. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. I remember this one very common statement is, teach a man, mm. or what is it again? Give a man a fish. Give a man a fish. You feed what him for a day and yeah. teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime or something like that. Yes, yes. yeah. Mm -hmm. Give a man, feed him for a day. Teach a man, feed him for a lifetime. Give can be overdone. Mm. And teaching yeah. cannot. Yes. Excellent. Yes, creating strength in yeah. others, you know, with your strength is something that generally requires you to be just one step ahead of that person, not many steps ahead. You can't just give them the answer. You have to be there with them, be one step ahead and allowing that person to struggle. Yes. Not necessarily putting them in danger. People get these things mixed up very quickly, but not putting them in danger. It can be a very safe environment, but it can still be a struggle. Not a struggle that traumatizes, not a struggle that's overwhelming or creates low self-esteem, but a one-step-ahead struggle where it's like, hey, I'm here with you, you know, but you work at this math problem. You, you think about it, and then very carefully, and there's an art form to it of providing hints and clues and teaching and going back and forth. This very refined way of helping is important. Otherwise, you're just basically giving them the answers. I've had people coming in for learning disability tests, and I'm like, how in the world did you get to this grade when your abilities are at this level? And it's like, well, the teachers just basically do it for me. And the teachers feel like they're helping, but they're not helping. They're not creating strength. They're giving, but they're not creating strength. They're creating dependence. Yeah. That means you have to deal with your own emotional mm. need mm. for dependence. Yeah. If you're going to have the strength to let go, mm -hmm. even if it's bit by bit, as you watch the person get stronger, yeah. mm -hmm. and then the desire to get stronger. I'm thinking of the person who is trapping themselves. I think we actually have a lot more of this in society, mm. perhaps not to the extreme that it's factitious disorder. For example, with what's happened recently in the past couple of years, I think mm. has developed a lot of dependence. Mm. And fear has mm. driven some of that mm -hmm. because of having gone through a pandemic. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that trauma and the requirement of being dependent creates these kinds of experiences for some. Some people will come back out of it and go back into independence. But I see it all the time when I have clients who come in and they're on insurance claims. I mentioned that before. They're receiving a salary from an insurance company like MPI or something like that, like a car insurance company, and they're receiving their salary. The longer that they're on that salary, the more at risk they are of never going back to work. And so you're caught between this idea of like, well, well, this person was injured psychologically or physically, and we need to support them and help them because it wasn't their idea to go and get into a car accident and be unable to work. So there's very legitimate reason to give them this support, this help. And yet the more that you help them, the longer that you help them, the more there's a risk of that person becoming unable mm -hmm. to help themselves. Mm -hmm and they will require help then for the rest of their life. And they might in their experience be like, but I need the help and I can't do it. And maybe that even actually becomes true to an extent that they are no longer able psychologically to become independent, but they're still not happy in it. Even if they're like, oh, but I need this help and this help will help me. You know, this insurance company needs to keep paying for this. 
in the end, it leads to more mental health problems to be dependent to an insurance company than to be independent and able to make your own choices about where you work and all of these kinds of things and how much money you can make. It's better psychologically to be able to support yourself. We talk about this with taking steps. You need to take a step mm. in the first place. Maybe it's a small step mm. to change somebody who perhaps has this and they recognize like, oh yeah, I'm overly dependent. Mm. Even just acknowledging that mm. and then what would be a beginning process to rise up with strength mm. to begin mm -hmm. strength mm -hmm. no i think you're right i think you're very right the idea first of all recognizing like i'm too dependent and this is not a good road for me even if i get a free salary this is not a good road for me i'm getting these wonderful benefits i get the sick role where i don't have to do anything this is not healthy so that's a really big step right there and then i think finding those small steps to strengthen yourself which usually means entering into challenge entering into a problem, giving yourself more problems, manageable problems that you can solve that make you feel capable and make you feel helpful. That's so important for people. Mm -hmm. Most people come into therapy with me in order to have me lessen the number of problems that they have. And oftentimes I'm actually trying to increase the number of problems that they have. I'm trying to help them to have problems, hopefully that they can work hard to solve and feel good about. Yes. And this is why. <laughs> yes. It's an amazing difference how strengthening independence, mm. as long as you have that ability, now somebody might be hearing this and this is them and they're thinking, I do not have the ability mm. and I am challenging them. <laughs> I am saying, yes, you do. Mm. And yes, you can. And you know it. Mm. The word denial, the denying it, and then just choosing the slump. Mm. No, I don't. I like laying down. No, I don't. I like being mm -hmm. sick. No, I don't. This is easier. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the exact same for the opposite. The person mm -hmm. who's giving. It's so interesting how they're identical, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's easier to give because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's harder to help this person get stronger. Mm -hmm. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's perhaps lazy, mm. selfish. Mm -hmm. That's a hard word to hear for things, mm -hmm. but both of them are. In those experiences, you have reframed the world. Like your own desires, your own needs have now kind of be reframed as helpful for other people. And it's hard for people to face the idea of letting go. Like if they're helping somebody and they can continue to keep that person ensnared and I'm going to help you and I'm going to help you forever. You're that person now for me. You can never become independent. It can be scary to face a world where maybe they're not needed. Like, oh, well, this person has become independent now. I've helped them to succeed. Who else will I be able to help? There's nobody. Facing that fear that you may no longer be necessary is so difficult but having that belief like after i've been able to help this person and they've become independent or i'm no longer enabling this person you know you have to have that faith that another appropriate challenge will come along another place where you can be of service will come and i like that perhaps you would turn some of that strength towards yourself mm. because perhaps you've been draining yourself mm. And this, again, is on both parts. Mm -hmm. To either be the one that's receiving mm -hmm. or to be the one that's giving, that you could, instead of 
drain mm. for the other person, which is a drain on yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a harsh way to say it. Somebody's like, oh, I'm such a drain on society. Mm. I suck. <laughs> and of course, no, that's not what I'm saying because mm -hmm. we love you. We want mm. you to be well. And on both parts, the goal is that you would search for that strength to give yourself. Mm. Yes. Yeah. One of the interesting things that can help identify a situation like this, if you're like, well, that's not me, would be, is there a relationship where you will regularly or chronically complain about your relationship with that person, that they're so draining? If you're in a situation where you're like, oh my goodness, I have this relationship and they're such a draining person and they're so chronically needy, there's a potential that you are enabling that situation and you may actually have a need to be needed in that relationship. Mm -hmm. We often miss it because we hide it behind all of our complaints. Well, I don't want to be helpful to this person. They're difficult. I have to help them. They're so, look at them. Tell them to stop being so needy. But if that's true, if they're so needy and you're still in this relationship in that same dynamic, I'm not saying it's simple. I'm not saying that it's easy to change. But there's a potential that you actually have a need to be around somebody who needs you. And you might just be hiding your experience behind those complaints. Mm. You have a need for someone who needs you. Yeah. And I would, again, suggest that you turn that towards inside. Mm. Mm -hmm. Look here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you, yeah. What is that that's going on in you that's keeping you in that relationship? And how can you feed that? How can you care for yourself in another mm -hmm. way? Very good. Yeah. Well, thanks, Cyrus. Thank you, Marianne. Well, that was an honor to get to spend that time with you. Appreciate you tuning in. Please check out more of Dr. Cyrus at maplecrestchurch.ca and at drcyrusdirksen.com. You are very welcome to come and join Maplecrest Church services 10 a.m. Sunday mornings at the Park Theatre, 698 Osborne Street in Winnipeg. We look forward to seeing you. Thanks again and tune in next time for Bridging the Gap. I'm Marianne Rose. Hate song.